0: Hello again, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm now on my second 100 podcast, so I'm going back and taking some of the books that I really liked and diving back into them and find other chapters that I would like to share with you. So I did that last time with Cold Case Christianity, so you have two chapters now on that that I've covered. Uh, the first one is way back, one of the earliest podcasts. Here's another early podcast that I did. It was a book called God's Undertaker by John Lennox, and this is the updated edition. Uh, Unbelievably uh, interesting book here. Um, John Lennox, of course, is a professor, and he's, he's taking on the challenge that people ask, well, is science pointing toward atheism? Or is science actually pointing toward God? Has science buried God or not? That's where he gets the title, God's Undertaker. So here's a chapter, that, and you can find more information about him in uh, the earlier podcast. So I'm spending less time now in these second 100 podcasts uh, on the author and, and trying to spend more time on the books themselves and the chapters. So I'm kind of in the middle of this. He's just spent a chapter talking about the origin of life and how you get Proteins and building blocks of life and things like that, and how complex the living cell is. This chapter is uh, the genetic code and its origin. And he starts the chapter with a quote by Richard. This is chapter eight, by the way. He starts the chapter with a quote by Richard Dawkins. What lies at the heart of every living thing is not a fire, warm breath, nor a spark of life. It's information, words, instructions think of a billion discrete digital characters. If you want to understand life, think about digital technology. He quotes also from John Maynard Smith, who says, "A central idea in contemporary biology is that of information. So he focuses on information inside the cell and he says, let's let's move beyond the level of proteins to the molecular level beneath and that's the DNA molecule. He says um, it's the DNA, in the cell's nucleus that stores the instructions that you need to build those proteins. If you wanna have a functional organism, you gotta have proteins. How do you get proteins? You gotta have a blueprint and it's DNA that's going to do that. He compares DNA to a computer hard disk. It has the database of information and the program to produce a product. Every one of the one, uh, I guess 100 trillion cells, something like that, In the human body, every one of those cells has a database that's larger than the Encyclopedia Britannica. Let me say that one again because that knocked me out. So every single cell in our body, and there are trillions of them, has a database. That's the DNA larger than the Encyclopedia Britannica. Wow. He says people are now talking about a living cell as an information processing machine. Okay, so he starts off, I like this, he gives us the background, what's DNA? He says it's a long molecule, it has a double helix structure, kind of like a ladder that's been twisted, and it has a long chain of simple molecules called nucleotides. And you've got bases that they're called, or four chemicals, A, G, C, T, they're called for short. And uh, so that's what's going on inside there. And just like a sequence of letters from an alphabet, can carry a message that depends on how you order the letters so if you take the sequence of these bases on the spine of DNA kind of like the rungs on the ladder if if you think of it that way they carry a precise message so it's a c g t and depending on the order that you put them in a gene is a long string of these letters that carries the information for a protein so that a gene you might think of a gene as a set of instructions kind of like a program to make the uh, protein. Well, the genome is a complete set of genes. So it's genomes, uh, or rather the DNA that codes them, are are pretty large. So the DNA of an E. coli, for example, bacterium, is about four million letters long. And he says that would fill a thousand pages in a book. Well, that sounds pretty impressive, but the human genome is three and a half billion letters long. That would fill a library. He says the actual length of DNA. Remember, it's like a ladder that's twisted, but if you and they're all coiled up. If you stretched out that um, tightly coiled DNA in one cell, it'd be about six feet long. So he says, uh, then there's a, a non-coding section of DNA. It's a huge percent of it, and people have been calling it junk DNA. But he said, you know, it's becoming clear now. It's not junk. It's responsible for regulating and maintaining and reprogramming genetic processes and it has highly mobile segments of DNA called transposons that can make copies of themselves and move to different sites on the genome with varying effects. They can maybe turn some genes on, turn some, some genes off. Okay, so how does DNA come up with proteins? Remember, DNA will be like the blueprint. He says, well, the information that's in the DNA has to be transported to the cytoplasm. That's outside the nucleus, where all the machinery is working, kind of like a factory floor. So how does the information on the DNA get to these molecular machines called ribosomes that will make an enzyme? Well, you got another long nucleic acid molecule called ribonucleic acid. That's RNA. It's not double-stranded like DNA. So what happens first is, inside DNA. Remember, it's like a ladder that's twisted. Well, the ladder pulls down the middle and it separates the DNA into two strands. So then a strand of DNA is transcribed into RNA, messenger RNA, and it it looks, you know, it's got the same information as the DNA. And then that travels through the wall of the nucleus to the cytoplasm where the translating takes place. So he says, think of messenger RNA kind of like a magnetic computer tape. And the ribosomes are like machines that construct proteins from the information on that tape. So what happens is the ribosome takes that messenger RNA and starts reading. It just moves along the strand and it reads that information. Remember the information is in those four different chemical bases, A, C, G, and T. So it's reading that and it's like a magnetic tape recording head in a computer or um, whatever. Anyway, so the next task of the ribosome is gotta find amino acids that's gonna correspond to these letters here of A, C, or maybe it's A, A, C, uh, U, G, C, you know, it just kinda depends on whatever the order is. So the the ribosome has gotten its order. So now it's gotta go find the amino acid that's gonna correspond to this. And they're swimming around, and uh, the uh, ribosome then pulls out the amino acid it wants, and joins it to the others that it's already assembling, and so it's putting together the protein that it wants. And it says even evolutionary biologists, <clears throat> such as John Maynard Smith and this other woman that uh, I don't understand her name, <laughs> uh, Mary or something like that, they confess the existing translational machinery is at the same time so complex, so universal, and so essential that it's hard to see how it could have come into existence or how life could have existed without it. So that's a direct quote from evolutionary biologists. It says, hard to see how it could have come into existence. All right, so here's the catch. To get rep- the replication of DNA, it needs its proteins. You don't get DNA until you get proteins to create that. So then the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? DNA tells how you construct proteins, and yet that information can't be done without the assistance of proteins. So which came first, proteins or DNA? So that's very confusing to people, understandably. Well, is it all in the genes? He says, you know, it's easy to get the idea that genes tell us everything about what it means to be human. But he said, we're starting to find out that's not really the case. There there are too few genes to account for all the incredible complexity of us. And so you hear that stat about chimps may share 98% of its DNA with us. But he said, uh, there's a geneticist, Stephen Jones, who says, you know, a chimp could share that much of its DNA with us, but it's not 98% human. It's not human at all. It's a chimp. And it says, does the fact that we have genes in common with a mouse or banana say anything about human nature? Says some claim that genes will tell us what we really are. The idea is absurd. That's what a geneticist says. So... Now, uh, let's go back to uh, Linux. So Linux says, let's take the example that genes can be switched on or off in certain stages of development of the organism. So a small difference in the number of genes could account for these large differences that we see in an organism's observable characteristics. So genes can be partially expressed. They can be expressed different times. And uh, so we've got all sorts of things going on here that are incredible. So... uh, Toward the end of the chapter, Linux says, you know, the more the living cell is studied, the more aspects it appears to have in common with computers. And that's about as sophisticated and as high-tech as you can get these days. Except, he says, you know, the cell's information processing, the way it can take that information and turn it into uh, proteins, he said that far outstrips anything computers can do. He has a quote here from Bill Gates, and I use this, every time i talk on this topic because it's so wonderful you know the founder of microsoft he said dna is like a computer program but far far more advanced than any software we've ever created now notice the key there of course is we create sophisticated software and yet what are people going to say oh uh, this this computer processing inside the cell just happened it just came about by random processes but if it's more sophisticated than what we can do when our best minds sit down and try it, it seems like we're talking about a mind. Now, he says, uh, there are theories about the origin of life, but he said they all run aground on the most central question. How did the genetic code originate? With a way to be able to, mechanism to translate it. it and they're saying that this code is ancient. This is not something that's just happened. It's not new. And it says, um, what, what possibilities are there? And he says, whatever Darwinian processes can do, it's very hard to see how they could even get going in the absence of life. And so you have to have a mutating replicator to get things going. So he says, there are attempts uh, trying to use Darwinian arguments to rely on chance and necessity. And so then he can, continues in other chapters dealing with that. But I thought that was a fascinating chapter uh, to take DNA Uh, And and to get it to do its thing just by random chances seems pretty far-fetched. You know, there's some excellent videos that you can watch on YouTube that show this process of DNA splitting apart, being read, information being transferred to those ribosomes. And then to watch the ribosome read that information and spit out a protein, twist a protein in exactly the right way to create things that function inside of our bodies That is truly amazing. Um, One place you can go to is just type in uh, unlocking the mystery of life. Unlocking the mystery of life. And you'll see some computer generations there showing this process. And if you just watch the process, you don't even need to have your sound up. It's just an amazing thing to see. And you can find lots of non-Christian information sites that will give you computer generations just to watch what's going on in the cellular level. All right, so that's Linux's book called God's Undertaker. Subtitle has Science Buried God, and guess what his answer is? Nope. So uh, science is actually pointing toward a creator, toward an intelligent designer. All right, well, thanks for listening, and we'll do another podcast soon.